Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Today, I want to speak about the mental health services in Ireland. And we mentioned this at the start of the show. And it comes after I read a startling report today that stated that Ireland's spend on mental health is 5% of our overall health budget, while... The World Health Organization recommends a mental health budget of 12% of the overall health budget. Now, this news comes after the back in September. Last September, it was reported that 10 million, which had been allocated for better mental health services uh, during COVID, remained unspent. So what's wrong? Advocates say it comes as Ireland's mental health supports are seriously underfunded. Uh, and as the country went into lockdown at the start of last year, demand for mental health services soared, obviously, because people obviously were in isolation and people were facing up to realities and relationships were breaking down and all that. Look, there were so many different things that affected people's mental health throughout the year. And to cope in February, the government announced 10 million would be allocated to mental health supports. COVID continues to wreak havoc on our mental health services as nearly 600 mental health nurses are off sick because of COVID-19, the Psychiatrics Nurses Association has said. And the association warned that the current situation is unsustainable and says members have complained that their workplaces are no longer safe. So today I want to ask you about your experiences and what your experiences have been in getting support through mental health services here in Ireland for yourself or for a loved one, for a mother, father, brother, sister or for a child. What has your experience been and how long were you waiting to get those services? Do you feel the service was adequate or do you feel you were completely ignored? As some people said in the past, or I've had parents on, said they're trying to get mental health services for their children and they're waiting 18 months just to get onto CAMS or something like that. So... Let me know what your experience has been and what can we do about it. But in the interim, and by the way, if you want to text us, you can, or text us your story at 87 8 You can WhatsApp or text or send us a voicemail if you want to on WhatsApp too. I want to speak to Fiona Coyle, who's the CEO of Mental Health Reform. Good afternoon to Fiona. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Fiona, firstly, I'm quite quite shocked at this 5, 5% of the overall health budget. But in saying that, when I read the story about the 10 million that was allocated that wasn't spent, sure, it doesn't matter how much we throw at it if we've nowhere to spend it or we don't have the, I suppose, the administration and the people to actually utilise it. Yeah, like the mental health reforms, we're the National Coalition for Mental Health. So we represent 77 um, organisations coming mainly from the community and voluntary sector. And, you know, we've been campaigning for for the last decade in terms of increasing funding and and spending in mental health. Like we're we're far behind where we we need to be. Like Slanchi Care, the government's own plan, puts a target of 10% on, on mental health um, mm-hmm. as a pr- percentage of overall health spending. Um, you know, high quality services do need, you know, high levels of investment. You know, there's no getting around that. Yeah. Um, what what is the overall, sorry sorry for interrupting you, but no. when you say it's, you recommend 10% of the overall spend on health, so the overall spend on health is about 16 billion a year. So are you suggesting that I suppose we should be spending, uh, you know, 10% of that? And what currently is the spend on mental health in this country, or do you know what the spend is? Yeah, so so last year, the most up-to-date figures that, that we had, now things changes, you know, over the course of the year, was it was, you know, just over 5%. Um, so it's, it's significantly behind um, where it needs to be. And, you know, when you look at other countries, like the, the UK spent 13% of their healthcare budget, which, you know, they have a significant healthcare budget as well. Um, so it, it, it does need, you know, investment and, and money is really important. But I think you made the point as well, 
you know, it, it can't be investment alone. Like, you can make all the commitments that in the world, but unless that money is, is being prioritised and being spent... Well, then, then, well this is what I'm coming to. Okay, so it's all well and good, you know, having a few billion, for example, if, we, if that's what we want to spend on mental health, and that's what we should spend, by the way, on mental health, because let's be clear, mental health is equally as important as physical health. But if we have the money, how are we going to spend it if we don't have the people to utilise it? And we, and we, we currently don't, do we, Fiona? Yeah, no, it's it's a really valid point and you know, our mental health services are run by individuals. You know, that's 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 what the service is based on and there there are brilliant individuals across the country who are working so hard. There just isn't enough of them. And I I think this is not only a challenge for the mental health sector but for the, for the health sector in general and you know it's it's something that that needs to to, to be prioritized and addressed and that that's where the, the the leadership question comes into it so one of the things that we've been kind of campaigning for um in terms of mental health is that there's currently no kind of i suppose director of mental health within the HSE. So someone who would rep- report directly into the CEO, Paul Reid. Like, mm. that that's something that was there. Just, but would, that, would, that, would that make a difference to have somebody who is over everything, so to speak? In other words, somebody who's delegating everything and obviously delegating that budget that you would have, which I, I, I'm, I'm trying to work it out is roughly at the moment currently, it's only for, you're saying you would, oh, you'd like to see 10%. 5% at the moment currently of 16 billion is eight. Is that eight? 800 million? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, but you want to see double that at least, right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. somebody has to be there to delegate that money and say, okay, I want to put some of this into CAMS. I want to put some of this into mental health services for adults. I want to put some of this into Jigsaw. I want to put some of this into whatever it is. So currently we've no, is there nobody doing that? We we have a great, you know, there's great staff within the HSC who at operational level are doing that. Like they're, they're taking the budget, but what, what you have is there's strategic issues there, like staffing being one of them. Um, but there, you know, other issues as well that require, um, you know, that, that require leadership, that require maybe the input of Paul Reid, require the input of the, the minister and the department. And, you know, the, the team who's there is, is you know, you, when you focus so much on operation, it, it needs that, that senior level of buy-in. Um, if, if you're so, I mean, then, if we have the money, and, and clearly we have some money because there was 10 million left over last year, but I mean, clearly there should be a lot more spent and the WHO has recommended 12%, which is 2% above what you're even recommending. Why can't we hire people, even if it means hire people from abroad? Because if we had a decent budget, because we can see how important it is to people. Because, I mean, I am reading story after story after story of people who've been failed. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, it's anything to do with you, Fiona, as the CEO of Mental Health Reform or anything else, or the people working on the front line. Clearly, it's not anything to do with them. It's administration. You know, it's delegation. But people who are being failed by services, who can't get their children into services, who may be suicidal or who maybe have learning difficulties or whatever it happens to be or have mental health problems, who can't get their children into any services whatsoever. It's just yeah, no, it's, it's, it's shocking. It's a huge issue. It's really, um, and I think that's where our members. So you know, you mentioned some of them, like Jigsaw, um, Grow Ireland, um, yeah. like a lot of our members would be providing really key services 
um, to to the public and kind of and you know a lot of those organisations as well would receive funding from the HSE to deliver those services. But you know something we campaigned for last year, which didn't come to fruition, was that you know our members are seeing a significant rise in um, the amount of people who are looking for support, and yet their funding doesn't go up. You know, there for us, you know, it 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 makes sense that you know to, to further support the community and voluntary sector. You know, that that's one way where where support could be impactfully given. You know, absolutely. We, we know. And, and the, the other shocking part of this, I've heard many stories of people saying basically they didn't have health insurance. They faced huge barriers. I mean, yeah. what can be done? I mean, you know, if I want to get a child assessed tomorrow, I can go privately, of course, and pay eight or nine hundred quid if I want to. But to get a public service or to get a public appointment, I could be waiting 16 months. So yes. what? how can we get rid of that barrier, the money barrier for people? Because everybody should be treated equally when it comes to mental health. So how do we get rid of that barrier? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's back to kind of staffing like our community mental health teams across the country. Even before COVID, there many of them were at 60, 70% capacity. And, you know, you mentioned now, like all of our health service, the impact that the COVID is, is having. So unless you have people there to see individuals, you know, the, the, the lists are going to be, they're going to be long. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's acceptable. Like what we've been hearing from GPs is that, you know, they're, they're assessing people to come in and they say to them, look, I can put you on a list, but, you know, do you think you're able to afford the, the, the couple of hundred euro to go private? You know, that would be my advice to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that there's so many people, especially in the current climate, just can't afford that. Well, and, I, I mean, you when know, you say a couple of hundred, I remember many years ago, I, my own daughter, I had to bring her for uh, services. And I had to bring her to see a child psychologist, psychiatrist. And I think it was like three visits. I think it was like seven or eight hundred quid. You know, and if I didn't do that, I would have been waiting, you know, a year to see somebody. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the the, the lists are are getting longer um, and the the services aren't there. And, you know, and that's why we need to kind of like the, the investment is one thing. But there are a lot of services, you know, like last year there was like kind of 38 Eight million announced in in budget, which you know we welcomed, and then there was an additional ten million, which we you know we understand now you know is is being spent, and the minister made an announcement before Christmas. So, but there are a lot of areas, you know. For example, we have really brilliant national clinical programs, like so we have a program on eating disorders or early intervention psychosis. These, you know, all actors agree this is a brilliant model of care, and there's a plan there on how to scale up to ensure that those services are available around the country. And, and, course, I, and I think children's services are probably priority and I say that and I'm not disregarding adult services right but children's services because if we can prevent you know we can get in there early intervention you know with young children developing uh, depression from a very young age which will go on into an adult life if we can stop that at an early age we will save a lot of money in the long term in many years to come and that's the same as we would do normally with physical health so that's something that we should be prioritising should have young children. Yeah, like with the investment case, we try and make it to finance every year, you know, invest now, save save later. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's what we've been kind of trying to say to government for, for years is that this is not just, you know, an ethical or a moral question of providing services. 
this is the smart thing to do. You know, you're you're investing now, and you 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 know the the money you have to invest in that individual over the the their lifespan will be less because and their quality of life, their ability to to kind of have a meaningful life could to we, engage with society is 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 really clear. Could we not do? I mean, during the start of COVID, of course, the Minister for Health uh, acquisitioned private hospitals. Um, we paid private hospitals to deal with the public sector because obviously we needed the resources. Um, currently at the moment, for example, a stay in a mental health service unit, you know, if you have a health insurance, will cost you or it's charged about 900 quid a day. Um, so those services are available. They do have staff. Why can't we do something similar and why can't we consider this to be some sort of an emergency? Because clearly it is. I mean, we talk about the pandemic being an emergency. But mental health problems are also a pandemic as well, in a sense, if you, if you know what I mean. Because it can cause huge problems for people. And people die, of course, from mental health problems too. So why can't we acquisition or use some of those private services and the state pay some of those private services to deal with the backlogs of people, particularly young children who are waiting to see mental health services? Yeah, well, I, I suppose that that's already um, ongoing. So the the state, the HSE, does engage with some of the the, the kind of the the private um, the private services. You know, they do pay for for public patients um, to to engage with those private services when there is a need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose that it's 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 kind of the the system. At, and especially that would happen at the more acute end, you know, in terms of inpatient, inpatient stays. Mm-hmm. And so, so that does happen. But you know, it's it's the investment in the in the the whole system. So ensuring, like as you say, that someone gets an appointment and gets seen in an appropriate time frame, so that maybe they 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 their their crisis they don't get to that crisis point. Um, it's it's it is about you know it it is kind of about that that investment at at the different stages and that yeah. there is you know, prioritisation given as well. Because because, Jen, because you know as well as I do, with mental health, it usually is something that needs to be seen immediately. I mean, uh, generally speaking, when you're talking about, it's like if somebody's diagnosed with cancer, they have to be dealt with immediately. An oncologist will recommend early intervention. You're straight in for chemotherapy, etc., to prevent it getting worse. So if you have, a say, a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 16-year-old who, you know, has suicide ideations uh, or ideologies and you want to get them into a mental health service or you want to get them seen by somebody... You can't be turning around to somebody and saying, oh, well, I think you can fit you in an appointment in six months' time. That's no good. They need that service now. It's not in six months. And by the way, don't please, please for one minute, don't think I'm criticising you, Fiona, or the mental health reform. But I'm just saying that how can we fix this and get those appointments now? rather than be referred on for six months. I know you don't have a magic wand. I'm yeah, aware, I'm aware no, of that. Unfortunately, there's, and this is, I suppose, where some of the complexities are. It's, it's, it's not an overnight fix. It requires, you know, attention and it requires kind of, you know, that, that political leadership from, you know, the, the Tisha and downwards because it's it's, it's for so long in this country, you know, if you think about our history, we've come a long way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we had in the 1960s, a figure that always strikes me is had we had um, the highest number of people um, per population in institutions of any other country in the world. So we, we were kind of really based on this institutional model and we moved away from that. And, you know, in, in the early noughties, we, we launched a really brilliant policy document that was moving towards community services. Then the economic crash happened. So instead of 
more money being put into community services. There were less than there was ever before. And we're still coming back from that, you know, and, and that, that that was a huge shock to the system where we moved away from this institutional model, which was rightly so, because there were people in institutions that shouldn't have been there and could of course, live yeah. full and frank, um, brilliant lives in the community. But, you know, we're still trying to, to strengthen you know, our our services. And for so long, you know, there was a reluctance, you know, mental health just wasn't spoken about. That's because we can't see it. Yeah. yeah, It's it's not like you see people on crutches. It's easy to see physical health, isn't it? You know, we don't see that. And I think now more and more there's an awareness, but there's a frustration there. Um, You know, there is a frustration there. One thing I I did want to mention as well is that, it's you know, in January, there there has been a huge amount of discussion around mental health and around suicide. And just to make people aware as well, you know, around some of the support lines that that are out there um, in terms of, you know, the Samaritans and others, if anyone ever ever needed to talk. Because it can be, you know, quite a triggering conversation as well, talking about these, um, about mental health and there may be people out there who are struggling to access services but you know there is support mm. out there that some of our members do provide and I, I, and I, will, I will give some of those numbers just that. at the end of the interview Great. I will give some of those numbers as well well listen Fiona I hope it's onwards and upwards I hope we can provide a better service in the future I hope you get the budget that's required not just the 10% you're looking for but the 12% recommended by the WHO uh, I hope the Minister for Health uh, will look into this more deeply because of course we've been a little bit I'm not going to use the word obsessed with Covid but uh, you know unless it's Covid at the moment you know nothing really seems to be happening in this country so I think we need to be addressing these other issues too because in the meantime while Covid is happening young people and adults are still suffering from depression they're still suffering uh, we're still seeing suicide and so, and unfortunately out there in society and we're still seeing people not getting the services they require and and those services should be available to them we should be able to provide them uh, certainly in the future we should be able to make a better world for everybody listen thank you very much indeed and I appreciate you coming on the air Fiona thanks thank you so much okay bye bye there you go Fiona Coyle CEO of Mental Health Reform by the way if you do or if you are triggered as Fiona says by anything that we spoke about in the conversation today and you do need to call somebody and chat to somebody or you're looking for some services you can contact the Samaritans and you can call them on double one six one two three, or indeed you can get Pieta House if you want to on one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. that's one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. so if you want to contact any of those uh, also to hear from you too by the way what has your experience been um, maybe you've tried to get support or services uh, let me know the number is 87 188 what has your experience been you know trying to get an appointment to see a doctor for depression anything at all I mean, has your experience been good, generally speaking, or were you waiting 18 months just to see somebody? Uh, those numbers again that I gave out earlier on, people that somebody texted and said, well, the number of Samaritans is uh, 116123, and also you can call Piedi House at 1-800-247. Uh, Mary, you're in Ireland's Classic Kids. How are you doing, Mary? Hi, Niall. How are you? Now, you were failed by the system. Yes. Catastrophically, you were yeah. failed by the system. But just t- tell us the story about your son. Um, um, he was the youngest of four boys. Um, from a young age, um, he kind of acted out a bit. So he was getting con- counselling, uh, going up through school. And then he hit a certain age where they felt, well, he's old enough now to kind of, you know, go out into the world and he didn't need any more counselling. Yeah. So um, as he grew through teenage years, he became troubled. And um, a couple of occasions he attempted suicide. Thank God I was there kind of for each one. Um, the final straw, he had taken an overdose and we had gone to our nearest hospital 
and as soon as he got out of the ambulance, he was talking and everything. Um, he refused help and just started walking home. Yeah. This was about four o'clock in the morning, so I walked home with him. Um, it was a pretty dark road, and it was about eight miles. Um, so he promised me the next day that we would talk to a doctor. And okay. um, the doctor at the time referred him to um, a psychiatrist. And so he agreed, and we went to see the psychiatrist. And I had a chat with her, and then they spoke to him on his own. And then they called me back in, and they said, well, I don't see that he has any issues. I think he's just... You know, he's he's eighteen, he's seventeen at the time. He's he's. Um, and you had you had obviously told them about his history of of trying yeah. to take his own life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what was it when when you were walking down the road with Ben, your son? What, yeah. I mean, what was he saying to you? What was his concerns at that? Sorry, what age would he have been at that stage now? He would have been seventeen. Okay, and so what were his concerns in life at seventeen years of age when he was walking down that dark road with you that night? And what was he um, telling you? His concerns were. He wanted to die. He wanted to die. He wanted to walk out in front of a car. And I said, if you do, I'll do it with you. And I think that kind of kept him going. Yeah. Um, so we eventually got home. Um, but did, sorry, he, did no, he tell you what? I know, I don't want you to get upset. I'm just wondering, did he tell you why he felt that way? He just didn't want to be here anymore. Um, mm-hmm. He he was the most popular person. Yeah. But he was so lonely when he was on his own. And he right. couldn't stand that. Okay. Okay. Um, he had to be kind of around people and he just hated to be on his own, I think. And I'm sorry, but by the way, this conversation is upsetting you and I know it is upsetting No, no, it's good to talk about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, when when the psychiatrist said to me, oh, I think he's just acting out, he's just yeah. a boy, you know, and Gosh. I said, well, look, you weren't there when I found it behind the shed with the rope. You yeah. weren't there when he took the overdose. You weren't there, you know, when... Um, yeah. He, I can't think the other, it was three yeah. occasions anyway. And um, she said, look, we, we review him and uh, we'll send out an appointment. And I just felt she didn't listen. Yeah. And um, the following August, he hung himself and I wasn't there. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I know that's been very difficult for you. Yeah. I mean, as a mother, you never, you never expect you're ever going to bury your own son. Ever, no. ever in a million years. Yeah. And, and particularly when you feel that it's something that may have been preventable, if yeah. he had if he had got more help and the help he it, needed. I always said, I mean, there's somebody from that system came to speak to me after Ben died, and they said, "Do you want to talk about it, or do you want to ask anything?" And I said, "Just that in future, if a mother or father tell you their child is suffering with depression, they're the ones that are seeing it. They're the ones that know. Believe them. Believe, believe them. them. Yeah. Please believe them." And I said, if that stops one more parent having to go through what I had to go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But the, the mental health system in Ireland is absolutely shocking at the moment as regards funding. Well, this is what um, I was I trying to say earlier on uh, to our spokesperson earlier on there. I was saying, if we can solve it in young people, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, adults are important too, of course, absolutely. But I, I think when it comes to young people, particularly teenagers between the age of 15 and 18 years of age, that seems to be a very vulnerable age. Uh, yeah. But if we can solve it there and help them, I think we're investing in the future because I think that will stop them from ha- hopefully uh, help them to deal with mental health problems throughout their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but um, shortly after Ben died, I got involved in fundraising for a local council and service, and um, 
it's true there that I met a counsellor because I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Um, an absolutely amazing counsellor, I'm blessed. Um, but I applied for funding from the lottery on behalf of this yeah. place because um, we don't have government funding. And they kind of basically said, oh, you wouldn't be entitled to it because nobody applied before. I'm like, how do you get it if you don't apply to begin with? Yeah. But these are like counselling for young people or old people. or You know, they welcome anybody that yeah. needs help and that needs to talk to counsellor. My sister actually counsels for free down there. Um, That's dreadful that you can't get funding for it and it's a basic service. Yeah, I mean, it's and a basic the, service. And this is the really problem, need. this is what I said earlier on, if you have cancer and, you know, you're diagnosed with stage four cancer or something like that, you'll get seen to immediately by an oncologist, you'll get your chemotherapy, yeah. whatever it is, and rightly so, by the way, to help prevent it getting worse or to try and save your life. But if you have a mental health problem which is causing you great distress where you might have suicide ideation, you know, you could be, a parent could bring a child, uh, you know, to a doctor, get a recommendation or a referral, uh, you yeah. know, to go to a, a psychiatrist, psychologist. You could be waiting six months to get an appointment. Absolutely. It's and like and it's, life or de- it's literally life or death. Yeah. It's like if they can't see it, they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I think it, for most people who understand depression, you probably have to have been there at some oh, stage yeah. or I know. seen I know. somebody with it. Yeah. You yeah. know? And I'm sorry he was in such a such a dark place. And it sounds like you had such a wonderful relationship with him as well that he yeah. did talk to you. He did oh, talk to you. absolutely, yeah, yeah. But he just felt there was no light at the end of the tunnel at that point, sadly, in his life. Yeah. We yeah. had our arguments. I mean, what mother and son don't. Well, do you know, <laughs> you know, do you know what? They're, they're part of the memories that you'll always have too. You yeah. Know, the arguments yeah. and some of the silly arguments you might have had with him as well. What sort, of, what sort of guy was Ben, by the way? Was he, was he a oh, fun? Oh, he was just so funny. Yeah. Like, you would never look at him and go, God, he suffers from depression. He was totally opposite. Yeah. Well, a lot of people that are suffering from depression will put up that mask and they will kind of hide it and, you know, they'll be going around smiling, but inside... Yeah. They feel like they're, they're dying. literally dying, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mary, thank you for sharing that with us today and, yeah, and highlighting it. And if it helps one person out there or one parent or one psychologist that might be listening... And, yeah. and your message is when a parent comes in with a child and says that you fear for his life or you fear for his safety that he might take his life, please believe them. Yeah. They know. And um, that the government give more funding to help more people. Yeah. All right, Mary, listen, thank you very much indeed. And I appreciate okay, it. All right. Now. Okay, we're all thinking of Ben now. All right. Thanks. thanks. Okay. Uh, let me just go to, if I can, Emma, oh, you're on Ireland's Classic. How are you doing, Emma? Hi, Niall. How are you? Good. You believe the system has failed many people. Um, and when we listened to how it failed Mary there, certainly the system wasn't there for her. They didn't believe her, unfortunately. It was too late and he took his own life, poor Ben, at 18 years of age. But why Why do you believe it's failing so many? Because we go for help and we're told to go home that we're fine. Yeah. When we're sitting in front of them and we're begging them that we don't want to live anymore, we have so many thoughts going through our heads that we'd just be better off alone and just gone, and that people will get over it eventually, we're told, go home, you will be fine. That's not the answer, sure it's not, go home. It's not, no, no. That's, what, that's what they told me on many occasions, was to go home, even though I told them I had my funeral plans written on a book at home. My gosh, you must have been really struggling at the time. I was, I was really struggling, really, really struggling. And, and when they told you to go home, how did that make you feel then? I mean, you must have felt like they're not believing me. It's a, it's, it's a bit surreal, isn't it, almost? It, it is, because you're, you're literally on your hands and knees in front of someone who is supposed to try and help you some bit or 
try and calm you down or bring you back somewhat from that dark place that you can see some type of reason to live. Mm. And they're just completely disregarding you. Yeah. And like it's it's heartbreaking to go through it. And then, like, I living with my parents and I was living with my parents at the time and I'm coming home to them more upset than what I went in. And they're awake at night. They can't sleep because they were they're afraid sick that I you. was going to do something. Yeah. It's it's not nice. Just the way things are in this country, it's, it's not right. No. There's too many lost suicides. There, there is for such a small country that, and when we have a small country, you can imagine we can manage things better. You know, I mean, look, when it came to COVID, and I don't want to keep going on about it, but we could pull out all the stops. We can spend as much money as necessary, you know, to save lives, and because that's the purpose of it, saving lives. So we can do all that. So if we can do that for a physical illness or a virus or whatever it might happen to be, surely we can do it for mental health because mental health is a virus too. It is. And just because people can't see it, that like you'd be walking down the roads, like I would go for walks just to clear my head. But you'd mm-hmm. never think when you see me walking down the road that what I'm thinking in my own head was at the time suicidal thoughts. And that my head was racing and I just wanted I just wanted to be at peace. That's what I kept on telling people I wanted to be at peace. And you figured that at that time the only way to do that was not to be here anymore. Yeah. And I'm glad, yeah. by the way, I'm glad you have had a change of heart. And I'm glad that, you know, things are probably a little bit better for you now. Although I know, you know, once you've had depression or when you've been down that road, it's very easy to slip back into that mode again. It is. And you have to build yourself up. And then I have an eight-year-old daughter who we sadly lost her dad to suicide seven years ago. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And it was after he passed and I was getting the blame first. And mm-hmm. I was, I knew I had to be there for her. Yeah. Because she didn't understand why her dad was gone. And without her, you probably wouldn't be alive today. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Because I hug her at night time, even though I've been doing a lot better. And I found my own way with dealing with things. Yep. Yeah. I still hug her every night and I actually thank myself that I'm here for her. Yeah. And she needs you. She does. She ne- She needs me more than anything in the world. Of course she does. Of course she does. And that is why I'm here for her. And even the time the ambulance was at my house to take me to hospital due to self-harm only last year. Even when the ambulance were coming down, I begged them to be quiet, not to wake her. Because I did not want her to wake and see two paramedics in the house and... Her mother being taken away. Yeah. That would have have scarred her life. And what was the turning point then for you? Because I know you're now part of a suicide watch in Limerick and where you're trying to help other people as well, uh, which is commendable. But what what was the turning point for you, apart from obviously your daughter, that you knew you needed to be there for her? What was the turning point? Did you get some sort of help in the end? Well, I had to travel two hours every Friday evening for counselling. From Limerick, I had to travel up the country near Dublin for counselling because I couldn't get anything in Limerick at all. Oh, gosh. I used to pay 70 euros a session, which I never minded paying for it because I was like, it's going to help me. But even during the counselling sessions was the time I was self-harming as well. But here's the thing, right? I know you didn't mind paying it, right? And you obviously had it at the time to pay. And, well, nobody has 70 euros to pay us, which you'd, you'd rather no. not be paying it. But in saying that, you'd pay it, you know, because you, you were concerned about yourself and you're concerned about your well-being. But 
if you had a physical illness that was life-threatening, you wouldn't have to pay for it. It would be available on the public, you know, on public health. So why should you have to pay for it? You shouldn't have to go. You shouldn't have to travel to Dublin either or close to Dublin to get that service. You should be able yeah. to get it in Limerick. Yeah, but there is... Third like, biggest city in the country, for God's sake. Yeah, and then Limerick has the highest suicide, suicide rate in Ireland. And why do you think that is, by the way? The thing, and that's the reason why the... Unemployment, maybe? in Limerick is... If, if the river is there, the river is wide open. Well, we've heard so many stories about the river and, and what has happened there. Many people. Yeah, and I was at the river myself to take my life. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, in a sense, or it might be the wrong thing to say, but because that river is so open, it's, like, it's the easiest place to go to. Yeah. It is the easiest place to go to. And that's why the patrols are there, and that's why there are people who don't spend as much time with their own family because they're out there trying to help others. And that's what you do now as well. Well, I haven't done it in a while, so I'm trying to join you looking after your own mental health. Of course, yeah, of course. Well, look, your own is priority, absolutely. And then if you have time to help others, well and good. You have to take a step back and you have to look after yourself as well as much as trying to help others. That's the one thing I had learned to do because I used to be so wrapped up in mental health awareness and suicide awareness and doing talks and doing videos that I didn't have time to sit back and think what it was actually doing to me as well. And I'm no use to helping other people if I can't help myself. And do you think the counselling helped you? It it did. It did. I, I felt he understood me. Okay. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't going, oh, this one is still rambling on. He listened to everything. You felt he actually cared? Yeah. Where some of them, you can tell they're sitting there and they're just kind of going, is this 40 minutes up yet? All right, okay. You you can tell well, by... Well, you'll always know. If they're, if they're watching the time and watching the clock, you know you're in the, with the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I've heard from that from people where they've gone to a counsellor and they're literally watching the clock. Yeah. And then you know and you're with the wrong counsellor. There was one thing that I said on Facebook last night and I don't think many people realise it when I... with Sinead O'Connor's son. That's right, yeah. I shared this post about cans and I had said... The harsh reality of it is that people don't look for help because they know they're going to be failed. More than likely, 90% of the time, they're going to be failed. Or they'll be put on a waiting list for 12 yeah. months yeah, or something like that. Oh, you'll, yeah, we'll get you an appointment in 12 months. Yeah. And by the way, our condolences, of course, to Sinead O'Connor and her son, Shane, who it's sadly so took his life. Yeah. Um, look, it is shocking. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be getting any better, although there's a suggestion now that we should be spending more money on it. But there's no point in having a load of money if you don't know what to be doing with it. We have the same problem with the health service for the last 30 years. It's not money is not the issue. Money has never been the issue in the health service in this country. The issue is administration and it's getting the people to actually help others. In other words, employing the right people, employing the right amount of people and finding the people that will take the jobs to help other people. And that's what we need to do. And, and set it's up the services. people to... Like, it's easy for people to go study for years on psychology and mental health and suicide. But until it's, not until you've actually gone through it, you don't know what's going on inside the other person's head. Mm -hmm. Because you're reading it from a book. Like, I've studied psychology myself. And I'm understanding it a lot more because I'm going, okay, that makes sense. And, but if it's someone who, has no idea what's going on inside a head, or as I call it, a healthy mind. Yep. You don't know what it's like to have the thoughts race and your head constantly race, and you're trying to do a task and you just can't do it. Yeah. No, I've, you know what? 
I've been there. I went to a marriage breakup four years ago and, you know, I, I've spoken very publicly about the fact that I stood on top of Hoth Head and was going to end it at one point at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, if it wasn't for a phone call, I probably would have. But so I know what it's like for those thoughts to completely cloud your judgment on everything that you're doing. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a terrible, it's a very difficult place to be. And it takes a lot of work to get back out of that place again. And you know? it's scary how we can just, how things like that can just take over your take over your brain. What's your daughter's name? Kellyanne is her name. Kellyanne. Well, Kellyanne is the reason you're talking to me today. And Kellyanne yeah. needs you. And that's the most important thing in your life and should always be. And that's the reason why you should want to obviously live forever. Yeah, I want to be there for her. Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. the only parent that she has and I have to be strong. You have to be. Have Listen, to do it. It's been nice talking to you and, you and good luck have. in the future, all right? And, and good luck with Kellyanne in the future and give her a big hug. Are you there oh, now? Are you at home now, yeah? When she's not finished skills with tree, but I'll give her a big hug then. <laughs> okay, give her a big hug. All right. Okay, listen, thanks very much indeed. And I appreciate you coming on the air to talk to us. All right. Thanks, Niall. Okay, we've got to go to a quick break. I'm going to come to Richard straight after the break, by the way. Um, and the number is 087-188-0008. That's 087-188-0008. We're talking about mental health and do we have enough services in Ireland? Well, certainly we don't. That's a stupid question, by the way. But how do we improve those services? Um, you Don't forget, by the way, those numbers again, if you need to, if you are obviously affected by anything we're talking about today, you can call the Samaritans on double one six one two three or Pieta House if you want to on one eight hundred two four seven two four seven. My gosh, I see the amount of texts and WhatsApps coming in at the moment in relation to mental health. It's equally as bad as physical health. Uh, absolutely, but just not getting the same recognition. Richard, you're in Ireland's classic kids. How are you doing, Richard? How are you, Niall? And this one thing just before I start, I'm sorry to hear of your own pain four years ago, and thank God you're still around. Cause ah, well. Your talks are very good, you know? Thanks, I, appre- I appreciate that. Now, no you, problem. you suffer from schizophrenia. Yeah, unfortunately I do. And, and Ruth, your very nice um, uh, telephone worker, said to me, uh, that are you still on medication? Unfortunately, we have to take it for life. But okay. You see, uh, but for people who don't know, by the way, schizophrenia, you don't hear about schizophrenia very much anymore. Now, of course, with schizophrenia, you can have delusions, you can have hallucinations, yeah, yeah, disorganised yeah, exactly, thinking, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So how, how does it affect you or manifest itself with you if you don't take your medication, for example? Well, you see, I'll tell you from the start, I was in college and I was doing stand, I was doing business studies and stand-up comedy and all and having the crack. And suddenly I began to fall apart, got depressed, found nothing funny, couldn't concentrate, noticed myself slipping in my own little world. Remembered I was in college in second year. I said, I'm going on a J1 to America. Pull out of it, pull out of it. What's wrong with you? Be happy like everybody else. But it's a brain disease. And the way it affects me, if I don't take my medication, for I can get away with it for two or three days, but I won't do that. But I did do it once or twice in the past because the drugs are so tiring. I asked the doctor to have a couple of days off. But the way it affects me is you start to hear the grass run. You become uneasy in the street after about three days. If somebody's on a bus and they're having a crack, I know that logically they're not laughing at me. But, but I you might become delusional are. and paranoid and think they are laughing but, at you. Yeah, yeah, now it would take a week or two for me to become like that. Yeah. I could get away with it for a few days because I've taken my meds every day for 34 years, barred a couple of days off. Right. And, you know, literally about three and do, do the Do the meds keep it away? Oh, they do. Well, they do. Yeah, I mean, but I, they have their they have their downside that they make you feel a bit lethargic. They, yeah, they tired. They tire the daylight out of you. They tire the daylight. Yeah, okay. They tire you. And the thing is, there's there's there's, there's no there's all there is is all the psychiatric services focus on is a is a medication. There's no counselling, cheap counselling. We're living on 190 quid a week. 
There's no cheap casting for us. There's no... You go in and... Well, see, this, is, this was highlighted, was it the year before last, a journalist from the Irish Examiner, I think it was, went around to like 16 GPs pretending she had depression, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and Because yeah. it's easy to pretend you have depression. So yeah, she pretended. Yeah. And every single one of them offered antidepressants. Nobody yeah. was offering her talk therapy. You know what I mean? Nobody was recommending she go and see a counsellor. Nobody was recommending, you know, go and see a psychiatrist no. or talk to the right type of no, people. No. It was just, here's some drugs, see you now. I think the problem is that they haven't, sometimes they haven't the time, but they should have allocated services outlaid for, to council people. Now, we had a, a social care worker, and he was quite good up in, uh, in uh, Stillorgan, but he's, over, he's overworked, and he always says it's important to meet, to talk. But I suppose the whole thing is that it's not a vocation which it should be to these people, because it's okay, the system is okay when you're in and you're sick and you're coming out. But once you're out, you're on a disability allowance, and you do or die in the streets with a job or any chance. Luckily, I came from a family. We're not loaded, but we have a few, Bob. My mum yeah. died this year, but she left me the house and a small inheritance. I'm very lucky. I campaign as much as I can. This is my 44th radio interview. I've been on with right. everybody except RTE. I've been on with... The RTE are the only clowns who won't put me. I shouldn't say that. Now, but <laughs> I say it anyway. But you're care. becoming a bit of a dab-handed, Richard, at this stage. Yeah, I am. It doesn't make me nervous anymore. But the thing is, to make a few points... Okay, but so, well, very quickly, because I've done a huge amount of time, but Richard, how do you think we can improve the services? Now, thankfully, you're on your meds. And I personally, but it would be better if you weren't on meds and if you could get therapy where you didn't have to be yeah, on meds all the time, yeah. all right? But Or if we could improve those meds to take away the lethargic feeling that you keep getting all the time. But how yeah. can we improve mental health services, generally speaking, so people like you at the early stages, you know, go, if you go back to when you were a young fella, when this happened first, how do we improve those services to get people well, in and seen to quicker? Yeah, well, you need to give, you need more counselling, first of all, to be taken more seriously by your doctor and given at least 15 minutes for the services and people in power to campaign to get people some kind of structure to their week purpose because we a lot of us have no purpose and that's the reason there have been 28 suicides in south county dublin in the last 15 years no purpose a lot of people well who who you know who were on their meds and have recovered from the illness as well as can be and would be able to work one or two days a week to give society let society know that we're not mad only herbophrenics are violent that's a different Mm -hmm. form of the illness Schizophrenic people are not violent and dangerous. They only, they only. Yeah, are because as soon as we hear the word schizophrenia, we start thinking of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah, of course, yes, you, of course do, yeah. you do. Yeah. And of course, the thing is, if you get somebody with schizophrenia who takes street drugs, then they are mad. Yeah. And they are crack cocaine. Well, do you know now people out there are taking drugs are madder than us. We take our meds and we can't afford to go near street drugs, and we wouldn't dare. Yeah. But like, to get the society to listen more. To, to drop the stigma and the fear. Now, there'll always be stigma. It's like anything, there'll always be stigma. You'll have someone who said, I had a bad experience with someone with schizophrenia, I'll never trust them again. But 95% of us are more. And how many, many people, by the way, just do you know the stats? How many people suffer from schizophrenia in Ireland? About um, 20,000. Wow, maybe gosh. Maybe a bit more, yeah. 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 It's one in 100, but it's, uh, it's, less, than, it's less than that. It's, it's, it's uh, including overall, like including people who are who were diagnosed and who've recovered, and those in, in treatment, about 20,000. My gosh, Richard, I have to say, that's a huge amount of people, I didn't think it was that bad. But look, you've said a lot today, Richard, and I hope people are listening, and it's to improve everything, I suppose, is what we're trying to do today. Richard, I appreciate your call, and thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, you're Nate. very good. Thanks a million, now. All right, see you. I want to go to Emma as well before we finish today. Emma, you're an Ireland's Classic Kids. Hi, Nile. How are you? 
Now, Emma, I remember speaking to you over a year yeah. ago. I think it was kind of November, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and your daughter has OCD. Um, anxiety as well, yeah. And I, and I know that you spoke to us since because you got great help after yeah, speaking to us. Yeah, uh, listen, I, even my friends would be saying it like, you know, and yeah, Niall Boylan show helped her so much. And I'm like, <laughs> they helped. You guys got me contact information. And through you guys, I got her private. I had to. I had no choice, Niall. I couldn't wait for Cam. Okay. Yeah. I did three months private. Now my parents paid. I couldn't afford it. I remember um, you, you know, tell. I remember you telling me that yeah, the last time you ran. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we did get her into camps, and she went in in March, and she was discharged in September. Okay. Just this year, and they, we weaned her off her meds. That was just it's Prozac, very mild, very yep. mild. Yep. And three weeks after she had a relapse in terms of we were back we did nine full weeks of no sleep to, to remind people of course she has OCD and you know and her OCD to, yeah. to, the, to the extreme yeah uh, literally you can't go near her sometimes no she yeah. strips she was stripping naked to go to the loo in case that touches off her she was wearing socks to bed on her hands because in case her hands touched her in the night and then spread it throughout the room so we did, I contacted Cam's after five weeks of no sleep and they said try another two weeks you know okay. this is normal and I was like, yeah, that's fine for you guys. You know, I'm... I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm on the cold day. face yeah, here, yeah. I yeah. have to go into work every day, you know, after all of this, all night. But I did it. Contacted them. And after nine weeks, they they agreed to put her back on the meds and bring her back in to talk in to January. Yeah, so because I, I'd be hoping you wouldn't have to go back on a list because she'd been discharged. Yeah, I don't know, Niall. It was, it was a struggle for it to get... It was a three weeks calling to get through to them. To yeah. Get, someone to ring me back. To oh, I know, I, I know. P- everybody, and by the way, I'm not blaming the staff no, in CAMS. No, it's the services, they're under-resourced. They're completely yeah, under-resourced. Uh, I found them great. I know of people who, who didn't, but I personally found them yeah, great. Yeah, everybody's had a different experience. Yeah, just can't get through to them and I'm still waiting now and I'm in a panic mode because I only got one month's supply of our meds oh, because it was Christmas. So, so how, is she, how is she right now? Back I mean, on the meds, we're like a different child. Yeah. She, yeah, her anxiety is there. You'll see her jumping and hopping at little things. <gasps> Did the dog stand on something outside? Or, you know, yeah. little things, I'll see her jump. But she doesn't go into that 900 mode. Oh, she's like, an obsessive germaphobe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With, with the meds, it just means that she goes from not to 10 instead of not By to By the way, did, did they, I, I don't know whether I asked this the last time, has COVID made it worse for her? Because, of course, she's seen it all over the news. The yeah, whole world is I turning into germaphobes. Honest has it that. made it worse? Yeah, it did. Like, she didn't start until COVID hit. Like, COVID yeah. hit in the March and she started in the August right. with the whole return to school. They'll have to do this. They'll have to do that. Oh, you and think that was the when, trigger for it? Yeah, but I okay. think it was more of that was the straw that broke the camel's back, if that right, makes okay. sense, after yeah. the divorce and everything. You yeah. know, over the years, I think that was just the final thing for her. Like, she okay. would have always got this, Niall. And she's, uh, just for people life. who didn't know, she's only, she's, well, she's just 11, isn't she? She's 11, 11 in February, February now, yeah. 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 So it started when she was nine. Yeah. So, but she will be like this forever. It's just about coping. Well, I, I, that's what I'm, I was just going to end up. My next question was, did Cam's or anybody professional say to you that she'll be like that forever? Or did they say there's a possibility she may grow out of it? No. Oh, they told me she will have this for the rest of her life and it's just about how she manages with it. Yeah. every single time she has like a, an attack I call it but that's not really the right word for no it. it's not no no and, I, um, an episode she, would that be the right she, word yeah, I don't know an episode, yeah. but she does like she does try her best and you can see her but she just struggles she cannot sleep with it it, it, it really affects her in the night time when yeah. she's lying there and okay yeah, okay. we're sitting in the room, sitting in the landing, uh, you name it, in the bed with her. Just And even when you're in the bed with her, she's jumping and, and, and flitting in her sleep, you know, with yeah. the anxiety. She's probably think, dreaming about these things yeah. as well. You know, you just so, don't know what's going on in her head. 
it's just a cope. And at right now, Niall, like no more than any parent, I don't want my child on meds, but right now they are helping her and they are keeping Absolutely. her on track. Yeah. And so I am happy to have her on them, you know? All right. Well, look, I, I, yeah. unfortunately, everyone out of time, Emma, but no, I it's lovely, lovely, you lovely talking to you again. Show. Yeah, you're a great help. And, and you always bring this up. It's fantastic. Oh, it's been lovely talking to you, but have a, have a Thanks, great day, Carl. great weekend, you and look too. after your daughter. All right. Thanks, Thanks. very much indeed. Bye-bye, bye-bye. See ya. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.